Welcome to Declaration Church Online. We are so glad that you've joined us this morning. Our prayer is that you are deeply encouraged through Pastor John's message and that God would move in your life in a powerful way. God is doing big and amazing things right now in and through our church, and we would so love for you to be a part of it. Before we join the service in progress, I want to share a few quick things with you. We would love for you to interact with us at facebook.com slash declarehim. And if you would like more information about all things Declaration Church, please visit us at declaration.org. Now, as we join the service, I would like to say, welcome home. How's everybody doing? You doing all right today? Yeah? Summer is hot, y'all. Golly, geez, it's hot. All right. Well, we're in week three of our series called Because You Asked. And um, we started this right after Easter. We put a poll out there, you know, Facebook, social media, email. Said, give us some things that you want to hear about, some, some questions you have, that, some topics maybe that you want discussed. And, and so this is our, our last week in this realm or this, in this round of this series, which I'm kind of thankful for because, y'all, this is tough. Just so you know, these are tough questions. And so um, this is the last one. And next week we'll be into a new series called Reach Out and Touch Faith. We're going to study the book of James together. But um, I wanted to address this question because multiple people asked it. It's a tough question. It's a relevant question. I think it's a question that probably just about everyone at some point in their life um, has, or they ask. And that question is this, why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe you would even say, if God is so good, then why is life so hard? And that's actually somewhat of the way someone framed the question. Now listen, as Christians, if we are given this eternal life and an abundant life, we're going to talk a little bit about it, but if we are given this eternal life and this abundant life in Christ, and if God is good, then why is, why is life difficult? You know, um, why do bad things happen, especially to good people, especially to God's people? Why do we sometimes face horrific tragedy? Why do we experience such difficulty? For example, let me just give you a few examples of this past week in the life of our church. One of our families... Um, I, I haven't, yeah, actually they're here this morning. One of our families um, lost their mother this week, and that's really tough stuff. Now, she had been sick for a while. She had been in care for a while. But, you know, when these things happen, it just kind of takes the rug out from under you. It takes your breath away for a minute. And, and that's tough stuff. Loss is always difficult. Um, here's another one from this past week. One of my childhood friends, I used to play G.I. Joe with this dude all the time. I will say firecrackers were sometimes involved. We had a blast. Um, he's my age. He, he married the girl of his dreams, planted a church about a year ago in Huntsville, Texas. And this last week, she went to be with Jesus due to cancer. 40-something years old, 43 years old. Another one from this past week, and this is probably one of the hardest things that I think that I've, I've, I've kind of stepped into with people even in pastoring um, in the three and a half years of, of declaration. But one of our students, um, college students, uh, lost his girlfriend tragically one morning this week to a horrible car accident. And what makes that especially difficult is the day that, that she passed away was the day they had already had it planned that he was going to have dinner with her parents and ask permission to marry her. 
So they had already made a lot of plans, and they were well on their way and, and you know, heading towards that, and, and this is what happens. See, sometimes we can have some really horrible moments in life. We can experience dark nights of the soul. We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death that we see in Psalm 23. And with this in mind, I just want to declare some truth over us. Now, some of this may seem so foundational, so elementary, but yet so important, so important for us to have, to lean into, to understand just the simple truth of gospel, especially in moments when it feels like we've just literally felt the most horrific moment of loss possible. And so one of the things that I really want to speak over you, this, this promise, is that we have the promise of eternal life. We see it in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son as a gift so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but can have eternal life. Through our submission, through our surrender to Jesus Christ, through our belief and faith in him, we can be assured that we will have eternal life. Our destination is secure if we were to leave this earth this moment. We would spend forever with God in eternity. That's a promise. 1 John 5.13 says this. I love the way the NASB reads. It says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can be assured of this. You can be assured of this. Take it to the bank. This means our perspective needs to be lifted heavenward. We don't simply live for the moment. We, you know, we don't simply just live with this moment alone in mind. We live for eternity. So we need to start thinking eternally. We need to start thinking with forever in mind. John chapter 10, verse 10. I use this verse so many times because I want it ingrained in your heart, ingrained in your mind when stuff begins to happen, when, when, when life seems to start being chaotic or confused, when your kids start acting like the devil, you know there is a devil, right? But listen, let me tell you, the thief does come to steal, kill, and destroy. That is what he wants to do in your life. But Jesus came to give life and life abundant. He came to give life abundant. I like the way the Passion Translation reads because it says, A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullest until you overflow. So this is another promise. Not just eternal life, but abundant life. We have this promise of eternal, forever, and full, fullness of life. In Christ Jesus. But even still, can I tell you this? Listen, we live in a broken world that is full of suffering. And there will be moments that we experience brokenness and suffering firsthand. It seems to be a dichotomy. Life abundant, yet a life not absent of suffering. Life abundant, yet a life not absent of sickness. Life abundant, yet a life not absent of sorrow. So what do we do with tragedy? What do we do when faced with a diagnosis that we didn't see coming? What do we do when we have to deal with loss? What do we do with cancer? What do we do with hunger and poverty and war and slavery and rape and racism and abortion and violence and murder? What do we do with these things? How do we reconcile the goodness and the greatness of God against the backdrop of such horrific brokenness? This we know, all of us at some point, will suffer on some level. I think everyone would say 
that life is not easy sometimes. And for those of us who claim to be a follower of Jesus, we've got to know this. Listen, biblical Christianity does not minimize our difficulties and our suffering, but actually it warns us of its coming. Biblical Christianity will warn you that it's on its way. You will suffer. It does not minimize it or ignore it or say that it will not happen. So yes, while we believe in Jesus and while we look to Jesus and while we trust in Jesus and while we are saved, we are also looking ahead heavenward with with eternal perspective, looking forward to the return of Jesus To as C.S. Lewis says, I kind of mashed up some things to get this, but as he said, that Jesus will come and return to make everything sad, unsad. See, while at present we struggle and we suffer, we experience sorrow, sometimes it even feels as if God is silent, leaving us to ask these questions like, God, where are you in this disease? God, can you and will you heal? Do you still heal, God? God, do you see this injustice? God, will you deliver us? God, will you fix this? God, can you fix this? God, why haven't you fixed this? See, God, how many of you found yourself in this situation? God, I saw you heal that person, but will you heal me? God, I saw you fix that circumstance, but can you step into mine? So the first thing we've got to understand so that we can so we can see the goodness of God, even in horrible suffering or horrible situations, is this. We've got to understand that we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that's broken, but listen to me, listen to me. We live in a world that's broken, but according to the book of Genesis, which is the first book in your Bible, God did not create this world broken. Now, I know that there's some theology out there that tries to, you know, reconcile all things, and all of a sudden you land in this really messy, muddy, clear as mud pit of But listen, God did not create it broken. And I'm going to show you right here in the book of Genesis chapter 1. As we look at the creation account, I've always thought we've got to have a very healthy foundation understanding of Genesis to understand the context of the whole Bible. And so I want you to see it for yourself in Genesis 1. I'm going to fly through this. But in Genesis 1, starting in verse 3, we're going to see that, that, that God, every time he creates something, he declares this is good. He says, this is good. So verse 3, he he creates light. And in verse 4, he says, God saw that the light was good. Night and day in verse 5 is is created. The expanse or the sky is created in verses 6 through 8. In verses 9 through 10, the land and the seas are created. And God said that it was what? All right. Vegetation and seed-bearing plants in verses 11 and 12. And God saw that it was what? The sun, moon, stars in verses 14 through 18. And God saw that they were what? In verses 20 through 23, living creatures in the water and sky, the fish and the birds, and God saw that it was what? Are we seeing a trend here? (laughs) Livestock and other wildlife in verses 24 through 25, and God saw that it was what? Mankind in verses 26 through 30, giving man authority and dominion over all that had just been created, as well as God providing for mankind. And in all this and through all this, verse 31 says, God saw that all he had made and it was very good indeed. It was good. So to have a healthy and a heavenward perspective when it comes to this topic at hand, we've got to understand and believe that God is good and everything he does is good and right. When I got the call telling me that my dad was not going to make it, 
20-something years ago now, 20 years ago, a little over 20. And I know I've told you this story before, but I, all I could see is this video playing of Dave Busby, the, the guy that I respected so much who preached the gospel, who had cystic fibrosis, well outlived the life expectancy, taking oxygen between every statement as he would try to preach. And he would still say, no matter my condition, God is right. God is good. And that's what's playing in my head as I'm driving as fast as I can to the hospital. We've got to have this heavenward perspective, this eternal scope that we see through the lens that we view life through, especially in our suffering and circumstance. And though we live in a world that's broken, God did not create it that way, but I do want to say this, that God did create free will. And again, I know this is a sticky situation. There's a lot of people that wants to argue theology. They want to go to one verse in the New Testament and try to say, but let me show, I'm going to show you where God created free will. Okay, let's look at it. Genesis 2, verse 9, we begin to see it. Verse 9, the Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So yes, we see God grew it. God grew both these all the trees, God, but he also grew these two. But now look at Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, watch what he says. He says, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God grew it, man knew it. Man was to subdue it, not subside to it. And in Genesis 3, we see Eve. She finds herself in the trap of temptation. The serpent, the enemy, is, is, is very cunning. He's, he's, he's tempting her. And this is the first moment that we see free will at play in the Bible when she took fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and gives it to Adam, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Okay, so we see that God's created all these trees. He's put two trees in the center. Here's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you can eat from all these trees, but don't eat, of don't eat of this. You're free to eat from anything else. But if you eat from this one, the moment you do, you've just sealed your fate. See, the enemy, he loves to manipulate things. He loves to try to convince us that whatever object he's using might just be good for us. I mean, God created it, right? I mean, it can even look attractive. But, but I want you to understand, when, when God says no, he just means no. He means no. So, so what happens? She takes some of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eats it. So right there in this moment, there it is. She's made the choice. And then she also gives some to her husband, Adam, who's with her. And what happens? He ate it. And verse 7 says, right then, the eyes of both of them were opened, meaning their innocence was lost to the knowledge of good and evil. And, and see, when we act on evil, church, listen, when we act on evil, we align with evil. And that's exactly what happened right there in this moment. They had a choice to make. They made the choice. They aligned with evil. Now, the enemy was smart, and he was crafty, and he is manipulative. We'll see it. But nevertheless, when this happened, everything is broken. There's separation in this instant between them and God. And then what happens? The word says, and they knew they were naked. 
Naked. I'm from Texas. Naked. So what is it? So they, they sew fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They sewed fig leaves together. See, in this one exercise of free will that we see in this text, everything's broken in an instant because of man's rebellion. Man's eyes were open, not to wisdom, but to evil. Man's eyes were open to suffering. Man's eyes were open to sorrow and separation and disease and to death. This ushered in the consequence of sin that we see in Genesis 3, 8 and on. It's also, understand verse 7, they sew fig leaves together and they make coverings for themselves. Shame enters the canvas because of rebellion against what God told them to do. You have all this freedom, but don't eat of that. They eat of that, and instantly shame enters into the mix, and they cover themselves. Tragically, my mother-in-law used to say, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will um, accept. And I just add to it, and the next one celebrates. See, now um, we feel a level of shame, but it's far more below the surface. Now um, rebellion leads to, we don't cover ourselves. We take pictures of ourselves and post it. That's the tragedy of this current Younger generation. So here we can clearly see that alignment and obedience to God brings the fruit of abundant life. But rebellion brings brokenness and shame. And in scripture, according to 1 Samuel, rebellion is actually aligned with witchcraft. Look at it with me. 1 Samuel 15, 23. It says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Man, I got to pause and say, be cautious. If you've got that little streak of rebellion that you like to talk about with people, yeah, I got a little streak. Be cautious because what you're saying is, I got a little streak of witchcraft going through me. Be really careful about what you're aligning yourself with. And that hard-hearted, stubborn, stiff-necked approach that we see in Scripture, man, if you struggle with that, be cautious because 1 Samuel says it's as bad as worshiping idols. Our rebellion is really alignment with the enemy. And when we align our lives with the lives of the enemy, this denies us the abundance. So we got to keep it in mind. Abundant life is found in obedience to God. Better said, the fruit of obedience to God is abundant life. But the fruit of our rebellion is suffering. It's sickness. It's death. We can trace it all the way back because of the rebellion and sin of mankind. At the fall of mankind, when all things were broken, suffering entered into the world right then and there. The world was broken. God did not create it that way, but man made it that way. This is our fault. It's our rebellion against God. Through our free will, we chose sin Therefore, we chose separation from God, and we chose suffering. So listen to me. Gracefully, I'm going to tell you, I know sometimes it's easy to shake a fist at the sky and wonder, where is God in this? He's right where he's always been on his throne. He's right where he has always been on his throne. And he has not left you or forsaken you. But could it be that you have left him and forsaken him? Could it be that you have turned away from him and turn to self? Could it be that you've turned away from him and turned to sinful nature, sinful desires, self-indulgence, self, all these things? The world is broken, but God did not create it that way, but man made it that way. The apostle Paul tells us that we are at present 
suffering. He underscores this fact of our suffering by using the word groaning. See, when we hear someone groan, it usually means deep pain or even some sort of um, emotional exhaustion. You see it all over the news, by the way. The, the groaning of creation, let me give you some examples. Unprecedented um, rise of crime all over the world. Total decline of morality. The celebration of rebellion against God. A greater measure of self-reliance and self-indulgence. Um, Food crisis in many areas of the world, a greater measure of disease and poverty in certain areas of the world, sexual slavery and the rise of child exploitation, border crisis and people looking and longing for a better life. We see the signs of a creation that is groaning all around us. And these are just some of the manifestations of the groaning of creation. Everywhere we look, we are seemingly surrounded by suffering. Romans 8, 22 and 23 says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, we have this, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting adoption, the redemption of our bodies. See, though presently we suffer, though presently we ache, and though presently we groan, we are eagerly anticipating rescue and restoration and redemption. And I tell you this, you're in good company if you read the, the scriptures. We're not alone when we question God, and God can handle our questioning. And though God never changes, and though God is always faithful, I want you to look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Look at what Habakkuk says. He says, how long, Lord? How long must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. Consider Job in Job chapter 5 verse 7. It says, but humans are born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. And he would know of all people, Job, this man suffered great trials and great affliction. And check this out. Job was a good man, it says. Job chapter 1 verse 1. There was a man in the country of, I think it's ooze or us. I don't know. Go with it. Hooked on phonics did not work for me. But this man was named Job. All right. He was a man of complete integrity, the word says who feared God and turned away from evil. So upright, righteous Job was not exempt from trials and tribulation. He had hard circumstances. He walked through difficult situations, and he lived in a lot of suffering. God is, can I tell you this? Though? Let's just think about Job. This should show everybody right here. Good is never good enough. You can be good and moral, and it's not good enough. It has nothing to do with being goods, but I'll tell you this. It has everything to do with being God's because your perspective is completely different when you know you have the promise of eternity and abundance. And even still, by believing and belonging to God because of the fall of man and because of man exercising free will, rebellion, and sin today in this present age, because of these things, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer Everyone, nearly, that we read about in Scripture did. I mean, the Israelites, David, every disciple, Paul. I mean, all of these guys suffered. Again, Job. Did you know that the question, why, was asked 16 times in the book of Job? Most of this, the entire book of Job is an attempt to wrestle with this question of why do good people suffer? 
This leads me to the second point I want to make to us this morning. If the first thing we need to understand is that we live in a broken world, the second thing we've got to wrap our hearts around and get in our minds is we needed a way for repair. Here's the good news in a world full of bad news. Here's the declaration of peace over debauchery and depression and disease and death. Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That means everyone in this room. Christ died for the ungodly, every one of us. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps somebody might even dare to die. But God, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, Christ died for us. He died for us. While in our free will, while in our free-for-all, while in our free-falling of brokenness, while we were so undeserving, while we were dysfunctional and disillusioned and dishonest and depressed and diseased, while we were full-on in rebellion, Christ saw through all that, loved us, and still chose to die on our behalf so that we could have eternal life and abundant life, so that we could have rescue and repair. It all leads to the same place. You pick that flavor of rebellion and sin, it all leads to the same place. It does not matter. You pick whatever label you want to choose to wear or align yourself with, it does not matter. It all leads to the same place, which is separation from God, lost innocence, and suffering. See, we tend to try to need something to blame for all of the brokenness in society, for all the suffering that we face. I remember after 9-11... There were two camps, two, two distinct camps. The one camp that was, was you know, rallying together and, and uniting together. And then the other camp that was just shaking their fists at the sky and blaming God. And we like to blame God as we groan. But truly, if you go back to Genesis, the blame belongs to us. In the garden, man stood with a choice to make, the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at it again with me because there's something that I really want you to see that I felt like God gave me yesterday. Genesis 2, 8 and 9. The Lord God planted in the garden of Eden in the east. There was placed the man that he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm not even going to act like the tree wasn't pretty and attractive and looked good. I'm not even going to act like the fruit didn't look good. I'm sure it did because God is good and everything he does is good. But God said, don't do this. This is the one thing don't do. You do this and you will surely die. Don't do this. So there's Adam and there's Eve and there's our ancestors. All of us are related in some way. Don't chase that. It's creepy and weird. But... They've got this choice to make. There they are. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So choose to eat of the tree of life, and you will live in freedom. You will live in joy, bliss. I mean, but choose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you will die, you will struggle, sin will enter the camp, you will suffer. The tree of life, the fullness of peace and intimacy with God, abundance. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, disease, hardship, 
death. See, there, there was a choice to be made. Intimacy with God, or watch this, or knowledge like God. Knowledge of God. Intimacy with God, or, or knowledge of... And, and look at it. The serpent, the enemy, he tempted Eve. Look at what he said in Genesis 3.5. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. Man, he's speaking right to the flesh. Sound, making it sound attractive. Making it even sound good. Man, you'll be like him. You'll be more like him. You'll have the knowledge of good and evil. Surely God knows this. This is what happens. And what did man choose? Man chose knowledge. And this is what I don't want you to miss today because I felt like God just kind of laid this on me hard yesterday. I had to go back and rewrite this whole section. Still today, can I say this? We often, too often, choose knowledge over intimacy. We choose science over salvation. We choose the fruit of the intellect over the fruit of faith. We even choose the structure of religion, some of us, over salvation through relationship because religion appeals to our knowledge and our activity, whereas relationship deals with our intimacy and our identity. When facing horrific tragedy or suffocating suffering, we have to keep this truth in mind. When questioning where is God or why is God allowing this or why is God doing this to me or why do bad things happen to good people if God is so good we have to keep eternal heavenward perspective remembering this world is but a temporary vapor we're only here for a minute in comparison to the timeline of forever and eternity so in response to the question if God is so good why can life be so hard why do bad things happen to good people number one we live in a broken world it's on us our sins separate us from God from peace from abundant life we see this from the beginning in Genesis number two we needed repair. So God sends Jesus, making a way for us to be restored back to God. Intimately, friendship, relationship, peace, eternity, abundance. So in order to reconcile when horrible things happen or when we walk through these seasons of dark nights of suffering, we got to keep in mind, God loves the world. He loves you, first of all. It's simple but profound. He's for you. He's good and everything he does is good. He's not sitting in the sky waiting to zap you for your badness. Listen, he's loving you in spite of your badness. Don't think he doesn't know everything you ever thought of or everything you've ever done. He knows every detail. He's leading you to opportunity after opportunity in his kindness and in his mercy and in his grace to see the truth of Jesus and to submit to that so that you can be restored. Remember John 3:16. For God so loved the world that in this way he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But keep going into John 3:17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus did not come to condemn you but to save you in Romans 5 8 God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us we need to surrender our lives to Christ and be embraced by the love of Christ so that no matter the circumstance or suffering we walk through in this life we keep looking for him we keep our eyes fixed heavenward we keep this eternal perspective in mind and in heart and in our moment of need we've got to know because of the love of God we have secure hope in Jesus 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. How many of you have felt like that at times? You just felt like, gosh, it's like I'm just feeling destroyed. Nothing is working out. Every time I turn around, I feel like I'm hitting another wall. Nothing is working out. 
He says, man, though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. This is the one who's keeping their eyes looking for God, even in the horrible stuff. They're looking for God, even in the suffering. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what's unseen. For what's seen is just temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. Our focus is heavenward. It's eternity. Though we feel as if everything around us may be failing, we place our focus and we place our hope that we have in Jesus, and we never give up. In this momentary affliction, this struggle, this suffering cannot compare to the weight of glory that we will know in eternity. We have to keep eternal, heavenward perspective through our trials and tribulations and temptations through our hard circumstances and through our seasons of suffering. Psalm 10, 17 says this, Lord, you know the hopes of the hopeless. Surely you will hear the cries and comfort them. And listen to me, no matter what you're even walking through right now, God sees you. I promise God hears you. God is with you. He is for you. He is comforting you in your time of need. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts. As I've been talking with Jacob throughout these last two or three days, as he's trying to reconcile and deal with such a horrific just moment that he's in, I've just been telling him, point blank, I am praying for an overwhelming, all-consuming peace and comfort to cover you. And he's responded, I feel it. I don't understand it, but I feel it. Psalm 56, 8 through 10. You keep track of all my sorrows. I love this passage. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. This is a God who is so intimately aware of every detail of your life, every horrible situation that you've walked through, every tear that you have shed, known and unknown, every time you've laid your head on the pillow and cried yourself to sleep because you didn't know if you had the strength to get up another day and take another breath. This is the God who collects every tear. That's how much he loves you. He says, my enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. I praise God for what he's promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. See, we can have hope in Jesus, knowing that he is our comfort in times of need. We can also have, you know, keep in mind this. We have absolute peace in Jesus. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do, I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. All Always, in every way, the Lord be with all of you. See, God is with us no matter what. we got to look for him. we got to keep looking. Look, keep our eyes up. Keep our eyes lifted heavenward. Eternal perspective. Man, this is a tough moment. But in the span of eternity, I'm going to make it. God's with me. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. No matter the season we're walking through, no matter the circumstance we're in, no matter the suffering, no matter the dark night, no matter the valley of the shadow of death when it may surround us or consume us, God is with us. And lastly, we need to remember that we have something more to look forward to. We can have this assurance. Jesus is coming back again to make all things new. 
He's coming back to make, he's returning for us. He's not abandoning us to suffer long. John 14, one through three, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that I, where I am, you may also obey. Listen, you may think God's silent and you may think God's sitting this one out, but you know what? God is actually doing something else. He's preparing for you something else. But he's also right there with you. He's grieving with you. He's mourning with you. Listen, man, listen. One of my favorite stories, Josh and Debs Walker, some super cool people. If you've ever met him, you know. If you haven't met him, hopefully you will one day. But they work with all kind of just broken people on the streets of Montrose and, and beyond. And one of, the, one of my favorite stories they ever told was a story of a transvestite named Paris. And for whatever reason, they, they got into some conversations one night. And for whatever reason, Deb just said, hey, let me ask you. You know, Paris had walked off and she said, hey, come here. Let me ask you, do, do puzzles mean anything to you? And I hope I'm getting this story right. But do puzzles mean anything to you? And, and Paris just breaks down and starts crying. So they start praying. And then Paris tells Debs, yeah, it means something. Because every night when the rotating door of my house kept going back and forth with different men coming in and out, I was hiding under my bed so that they wouldn't attack me. And I would try to be as quiet as I can, and I would just do puzzles. And Debs would say, well, say can I tell you something, Paris? God was with you doing puzzles. That's why he told me. Puzzles. God is with you. And he's going <laughs> to, he's looking at your suffering and he's not forgetting you. He's preparing a place for you, for us to live with him forever. And he's going to come and make all things new. Revelation 21.5. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. We must continue to look forward to, look for God, okay, in our suffering. Keep our focus on the return of Jesus Christ. Because he's going to come and make everything sad, unsad. Sam to Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings, chapter four, book six. <laughs> the quote is, Sam asked Gandalf, is everything sad? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes. Yes. In fact, the exact C.S. Lewis quote that I butchered says this. Some mortals say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. I'm going to invite the band to come up here and listen. As we close this week, the news of this week and the loss of this amazing 19-year-old young lady named, watch this, Kalia Joyanne Bell. And Joy was such a great description of her. I had the pleasure to meet her a couple of times. Jacob was so proud of her when they would come home from school. And, and she was a very encouraging person. In fact, some of the very things that they wrote about her, so she's, she's going to be remembered by her incomparable, genuine, and unique heart that radiated pure love for others. She never let adversity hold her back, constantly pursuing her lifelong dream of making other people feel special. And that's exactly what she did. Very selfless, joyful person who wanted to make everyone around her feel seen and special. And Jacob said it was strange because in the last few days, he said that she's, 
she would even mention like how joyful she felt and how she's never been more happy to be alive and how all these things are so great. And even a lot of her relationships felt so good and peaceful and and. So it's, you can imagine how difficult to get that news, especially on that day when the plans were going to end with the biggest celebration. And though Kalia is in the presence of Jesus, fully whole, she will never suffer again. Today, there's so many that are deeply hurting and grieving, left to wonder why. Why tragically lose someone so suddenly? Listen. Sometimes, even the book of Romans, we say Romans 8, 28. Sometimes it feels trite and cliche, but I'm telling you it's true. Somehow God will work in all of this. And I'm so encouraged as I talk with Jacob and just try to continue to remind him, and keep your eyes lifted. Look for where God is in this. He's with you. He's with you. And he said, yeah, I'm already seeing how God's moving. Nearly 800 people came to the visitation the other night. He said he stood and received people for over four hours. And every one of those people were saying some of the exact same things of what she meant and the impact that she's made and how she made them feel special and, and just how kind she was. He said, he said, I can see God in that. And then he said, you know what? He said, I'm, he said her dad and her brother, they haven't spoken for nine years. And I watched them embrace and cry and pray together. He said, I'm seeing God in this. And yes, it hurts. And you are going to hurt. You're going to suffer. But God is with you. He is with you and he is for you. And his heart hurts so deeply when we chose as mankind to take a bite of that tree. But he made a way for us. He made a way for you. Would you close your eyes for a minute? Would you stand to your feet with me and prayer partners, elders and wives, would you make yourself available? Listen, if you're here this morning and man, you just need someone to, to pray with you and to pray over you and to, to pray that encouragement, to pray that you can lift your eyes and have that heavenward perspective, have that eternal perspective in mind and in heart that it would grip you. You can have hope. You can have peace. You can have comfort. You can have assurance all because of Jesus today. And we, we grieve with hope. We suffer with hope. And we long and we ache for the return of Jesus because we know he's going to come and make all things new. He's going to come and make everything sad unsad and I'm going to be able to see my dad again and you're going to be able to see your family again who know Jesus and forever we're going to be able to spend with them and with God and so if you need prayer this morning just encouragement man as we sing would you just come and respond and allow our team to minister to you I believe God will use them to encourage you this morning. Let's sing and let's just spend this time with the Lord. Hey, this is Pastor John. I want to thank you so much for being with us today for Declaration Church Online. I want to encourage you. We want to be your church family and we'd love to connect with you. If you want to reach out to us, say hello. 
uh, maybe send a prayer request or, or just share a testimony of how God is moving your life, you can do that through declaration.org slash connect. Also, man, God is doing some incredible things right now. If you'd love to join the movement and find out all of the vision that God is pouring out in this church right now, go to jointhemovement.org. You can give to Declaration to be a part of this mission through declaration.org, or you can text the word DECLARATION to 77296. Man, we hope to see you again either in person at the campus or online right here. God bless.